Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you this morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. We are uh, just beginning a series through the book of Galatians that will take us uh, into the summer months. And we'll be covering this morning verses 11 through 17. Verses 11 through 17 of chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. Now, just to catch us up a little bit so that we uh, are oriented to what's happening here in these verses, uh, Paul has begun with a defense of his apostleship to the churches in Galatia because there have been those who have come into these churches who have begun to preach a false gospel. They've begun to preach something that adds to the gospel of free grace in Jesus Christ alone. Last Sunday we saw that there is no other gospel than the gospel of free grace in Jesus Christ. And that to add anything to the one true gospel is to so radically change its nature that it's no longer the gospel at all. If you add any requirements to grace, then it's no longer grace. It is works. Now, in verses 11 through 17, Paul continues to bolster his contention that the gospel that he preached is not to be abandoned. Why? Because it comes directly from God Himself. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not rooted in human investigation or human experience. It is not the result of religious genius or literary artistry. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God Himself. It is the mind of God expressed through the preaching and the writing of the apostles. Perhaps no other doctrine of the church is more central to its long-term health than its doctrine of Scripture. What happens when we abandon a biblical view of Scripture? Well, unfortunately, it leads us down a downward spiral that has played itself out several times over the years. The doctrine of Scripture becomes undermined. Doubt enters into the church. Central doctrines are denied. Historical events become allegorized. Morality is compromised. And the gospel itself becomes a message of do-gooder mush. No doubt, this is what has happened in numerous mainline denominations throughout our nation. The descent into religious liberalism begins with a compromised doctrine of Scripture. This is why the Westminster Confession of Faith begins, chapter 1, is on Scripture, because Scripture is the foundation of what we believe. And if we get the foundation wrong, then everything else falls apart. The opening of the EPC's Essentials of the Faith says this, All Scripture is self-attesting, and being truth requires our unreserved submission in all areas of life. Why does our denomination, the EPC, exist? Well, because the denomination that we came out of abandoned the doctrine of Scripture at a denominational level and eventually led to a church that does not believe or preach the gospel anymore. 
the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy, which is the standard statement on the doctrine of Scripture's truth, says this in Article 19. We affirm that a confession of the full authority, infallibility, and inerrancy of Scripture is vital to a sound understanding of the whole of the Christian faith. We further affirm that such confession should lead to increasing conformity to the image of Christ. And we deny, hear this, we deny that inerrancy can be rejected without grave consequences, both to the individual and to the church. You see, our belief about the Bible is no secondary issue. For if we believe that the Bible is the word of man, then it can be amended, it can be disputed, it can be denied. However, if we affirm that Scripture is the very Word of God, then we must submit to it as the ultimate authority for what we are to believe and how we are to live. You see, how we understand verses 11-17 through of Galatians will be determinative of how we understand our relationship to the Word of God and therefore the Gospel itself. Will we see the words of this letter as those invented by man or those given by God? So let us turn our attention now to God's holy Word. Galatians chapter 1, I'll begin in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you this day and we pray that you would guide us by your word and your spirit. That in your light we may see light. That in your truth we might find freedom. And in your will discover your peace. And we pray this through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.
Now the first thing that Paul is seeking to establish in these verses is that the gospel does not find its source in mankind. Does not find its source in mankind. And in particular, he is seeking to show that it did not originate in himself. That Paul is not some religious genius that came up with this gospel message that he's now proclaiming. Look at verses 13 and 14 of our text, and we'll see how he begins to make this argument. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Now Paul is saying, look at the facts of my own life when it comes to the gospel of grace. Not only did I not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I was an active persecutor of the church. I supervised the stoning death of Stephen. I gained permission to stop the spread of the gospel and it was on my way to the city of Damascus to see it ended. Not only was I persecuting the spread of the gospel, but I was actively pursuing advancement in the pharisaical tradition. I was advancing and had a great career ahead of me. Paul had invested all that he was in a way of life that was contrary to the gospel. And all that he believed and all that he did, he was opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what does all this mean? Well, it means that Paul was the last person who would develop a message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He is the last person you would expect to preach a gospel that laid aside the ceremonial law and would invite Gentiles into the assembly of God's people. It went against everything that he held dear and everything that was making his life advance. Now, we need not assume that Paul did not know the historical facts of the gospel prior to his conversion. Most likely, Paul knew what the church was teaching about Christ as the Messiah, who died as a substitute for sinners and rose on the third day. Right? Why would he have been so zealously against the gospel if he knew nothing of it? But that is the point. We can have confidence that the gospel did not originate with Paul, Because prior to his conversion, he hated the gospel. He opposed it. He sought to see it come to an end. His opponents might have been claiming that his message found its source in Paul himself. But Paul says, you have your timeline all mixed up. I was persecuting the gospel before I was preaching it. Now, Paul often alludes to what he calls his prior life in Judaism. In Philippians, the book of Philippians, he claims that according to the law... He had more righteousness than anyone else, right? He was following this path of Judaism to the extreme. Yet the gospel caused a radical reorientation in his life in which all that he viewed as valuable is now seen as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord. Paul did not invent the gospel. Rather, we see that the gospel reinvented Paul. The gospel changed Paul. It changed his orientation of his life and what he saw as important and ultimately how he understood his relationship with God. 
Now, the second thing that we see in Paul's argument is that the Gospel did not come from Paul and it did not come from any man. For Paul says that he did not receive it from flesh and blood. Look at verses 16 through 17. Start kind of in the middle of verse 16 here. Right, Paul is sharing his own story, his biography of how the Gospel has changed him. And he says, I did not immediately consult anyone, right? When the gospel changed him, when the gospel reoriented his life, he says, after this happened, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now we'll return to Paul's conversion in a minute. But here, Paul claims that following his conversion, he didn't consult with anyone to the truth or the veracity of the gospel that he had received. Right? He didn't go to the apostles and say, "Hey, um, I hear this gospel. I I receive this gospel message. Is this does this line up with what you say? Do I need to amend this? Do I need to change this?" No. Paul says, "I did not consult with anyone." A more literal translation of that word, anyone is flesh. It is the Greek word for human flesh. Paul says, I did not consult with flesh. He didn't consult with anybody to confirm what he now believed. But this idea carries with it a nuance that is deeper than just going to a person to confirm it. For flesh refers to the human mode of being. To be in the flesh means to live and exist within the created and fallen physical body. The flesh is the mode of our being, but it is also the source of our weakness, of our ignorance, of our sin. We all live in the flesh prior to Christ changing our hearts. And in saying that he did not consult flesh... He is affirming that the source of his gospel was not ignorant human perception subject to all the sin and frailties of man. That's the connection to verse 12. You can look up there at verse 12. He says, I did not receive it, that's the gospel, from any man, nor was I taught it. The gospel did not come from the mind of man. It didn't come from human flesh. It came from God himself. He strengthens this point in verse 17 when he says that he did not even consult with the apostles in Jerusalem, but rather went straight to Arabia to begin to preach the gospel to the Gentile nations. Right? Paul did not need to reaffirm his understanding of the gospel message with any person because it came directly from the source of the gospel, the risen Jesus Christ. Again, verse 12. You can see the second half of it says, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, the word of God is under continual attack, both from outside and inside the church. And one of the main issues at hand is the fallibility of human authors. Right. We know this. Humans continually make mistakes. They have limited understanding and a proclivity to embellish and even outright lie. 
But what the Word of God is claiming for itself here in this verse and throughout the Word of God is that while human agents are involved in the writing of Scripture, they are not the ultimate source of Scripture. They are not the origin of the truth that is embedded and that is proclaimed in Scripture. The Apostle Peter explains this dynamic when he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Right? What that means is, is that no, no truth of Scripture originated from human intelligence. That, that, that somebody looked at the world and interpreted the world around them and then wrote it down and we say, oh, that's Scripture. No. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Word of God, and particularly for this morning, the Gospel, is not a message that began in the imaginations of human beings, nor even in their own will, but rather the message communicated is from God Himself. And as they spoke with human words and with human images, the Spirit of God directed their communication in such a way that what they spoke God spoke. This is what Paul means in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Man is not the source or the origin of the Gospel. Rather, all Scripture comes forth from the Spirit of God Himself. All the ideas, all the doctrine, all the history, all the Psalms, they are all from God Himself. And because they are from God, they cannot be rejected in favor of human wisdom. You see, Paul is saying that the Gospel must be believed. It cannot be abandoned because its source is not of the flesh, but it is of the Spirit of God Himself. On every bottle of the sparkling water, I think of it as fancy, Perrier, it says, water captured at the source in France. You see, part of the appeal of this specific brand of water is that its source is viewed as pure. People like to buy Perrier because it seems fancy and clean and a good source of Water. I actually, when I was reading about this, apparently they don't sell a whole lot of Perrier in France. They sell it in the UK and in America because they go, oh, the French, now that's fancy. I'm going to buy that pure fancy water from France. No one's going to buy and drink water that says, water captured from the source of David's backyard hose. Or even worse, water captured at the source of the Blackwater Creek. Right? You're not going to run to drink that water. Why? Because you don't trust the source. You don't believe that there's pure water that comes from these sources. You're going to go somewhere that you think has good, pure, healthy water. And what Paul is saying to the Galatian churches is that you must trust the gospel that we preached because its source is not tainted. Its source is God himself. Look at verses 11 through 12 again. They say, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's 
gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We've already looked at how Paul repudiates the idea that his gospel is from man, but now we look at the other side of Paul's argument, which is the gospel is from God himself. In verse 12, we see that Paul says he received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a bit of a grammar question here that we want to get clear in our minds. When it says that he had a revelation of Jesus Christ that he received this gospel through, there's a question. Did Jesus reveal something to him or was Jesus revealed to him? Right. And what we understand is, is that there was a revelation that was given to Paul from the God, the father of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the substance of the revelation that was given. So Paul is saying that God in my conversion revealed to my understanding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is not invented. It is received. It comes not through investigation, but through revelation. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, we have recorded for us how Paul was converted. It's actually interesting to see how often Paul's conversion is mentioned, not only in the book of Acts, but also throughout the New Testament of Paul's own writings. This was a seminal event in the understanding of how the gospel went forth to the Gentile nations. We're just going to read a small snippet of it here. It says, now, as he, that's Paul, that he'll be referred to as Saul in this, in this, uh, in these verses. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, right? He's going to persecute the church. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Right? He doesn't know. He's blind. And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. God, the father chose to reveal to Paul the resurrected Jesus Christ to open his eyes to the reality of who he is and what he has done. And it was Christ himself who gave Paul his commission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, this whole conception of revelation goes against all that we are taught about the nature of reality in today's world. We are trained to put a frame around all of our experiences so that everything that we see in this world is hedged in by this idea that everything must come through a materialistic, naturalistic understanding of events. And if anything in any way, seems to be speaking into that frame of understanding, we must reject it as superstition because it cannot submit to the naturalistic view of the world. But what Revelation is saying, or what the Bible is saying about how it comes to us, is that God acts from the outside and He breaks into this frame of being that we have constructed in our minds and He speaks to us truth about who we are and about what He has done. 
We need a word from the outside because our minds and the world around us is broken by sin and we are filled with ignorance. You see, the gospel did not arise out of naturalistic phenomenon. It did not originate in the flesh to use Paul's own words, but rather God the Father revealed the truth of the gospel to Paul through an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Again, Paul knew the claims of the church, but in the revelation of Christ, the truth of these claims and the substance of these claims were shown to be true. Paul received from the source of all wisdom and truth So he didn't need to consult with man, for God had given him this truth. And therefore, we must trust in the gospel of grace that has been given to us by the apostles. We must lay aside our human conceptions of wisdom and follow the word of God. In our family, we go through the children's catechism in the mornings during our morning devotion time. I'd encourage you, if you have little children, to work through the children's catechism. It's a good place to start, lays a good foundation. This past week, the question that we have been focusing on providentially is, why do you need Christ as your prophet? Right? A prophet reveals to you truth, reveals to you God's truth. Why do we need Christ as our prophet? I love the answer because it's so honest. And yet it goes against what we want to think about ourselves. Okay, the answer is because I am ignorant by nature. Right? We don't like to hear that. As human beings, we want to say that we're wise and we're understanding. But we need to be taught and we need to understand that by nature, by our flesh, we are ignorant of eternal truths. And so we need Jesus Christ as our prophet to reveal to us the truth of the gospel. We need the revelation of the gospel because we would not understand it on our own. For man would not have devised such a system. For every man-made attempt to please God is rooted in works and in rituals. But the gospel alone teaches that God became man. That this God-man obeyed on our behalf. That He died to pay for our sins. That He rose to free us from death. And that He gave to us His Holy Spirit to change our hearts and cause us to trust in Him. Only the Gospel teaches that it's all of God and of His grace that salvation is not by works of the law, but is by His free grace. And that we receive it through faith alone. You see... We must have the gospel revealed to us by God because man would never have conceived of such wonderful grace. The final thing that I want us to see in this text is that we must trust the gospel because the source of the gospel call is God alone. What I mean by that is that we can trust Paul as a messenger of the gospel because the source of his call to preach the gospel comes from God himself. Now, this is encapsulated in in his in his conversion experience. Right. He was going completely opposite of preaching the gospel. He's persecuting the gospel. And then God came and opened his eyes uh, that he would then go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But Paul understands that this calling goes much further back than just his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, 
But when He who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. See, Paul sees his calling as parallel to the calling of the prophets of old. Listen to how what he says in verses 15 and 16 are paralleled in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You see, Paul was called and was set aside for this task even before he was born. God had ordained that the message of salvation would go to the nations through Paul himself. Even as Paul was being trained contrary to the gospel, even as Paul was persecuting the gospel, God had known and had had ordained that Paul would be the one who would preach the gospel. And therefore we can trust this message. For we see that its source is not man, but it is God. We live in a world that is skeptical of the Bible. For there are many things in the Word of God that seem hard to believe or to understand. And the most difficult to truly believe is the gospel itself. For to truly believe the gospel means that you believe in God's love for the world. You believe that God sent His Son into this world to die for their sins. And you believe that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It means that you believe that your salvation does not find its source in you and in your works, but in God's grace alone. It's hard. And really, the Word of God teaches us it's impossible to believe this apart from the work of God through His Spirit. Yet by His grace, God has chosen to reveal this truth through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I'd encourage you, have confidence in the Word of God. I'd encourage you, as you begin this year, begin in God's Word. Maybe setting up for yourself a system of which you can read through God's Word with such confidence, understanding that this is God speaking to you His truth and revealing to you by His Spirit the Gospel. And I would encourage you to share His Word with confidence. One of the things that I've observed not only about my own life, but also about others, is that we seem to be very comfortable sharing, whether it be on social media or in our interactions with one another, truths that do not find their source in anything substantive. Right? We begin to share our and express our opinions and we propound things that maybe we read a little headline here or a little snippet there, right? Joe Bob's newsletter told me 
And then you so invest yourself and you so invest your emotions in the opinions of man that it causes a wedge of division between you and your family members or you and your church. You so invest yourself in the ideas and thoughts of men. But we have God's word. We have something that is sure that we know 100% that this is truth. And yet so often we're willing to share the fallible opinions of men, but we're not willing to share the infallible word of God. And this is what we need to share. This is what people need in this time. They don't need the opinions of men. They need the truth of God. And so I would encourage you, as you go forth into a world that has so much confusion and so many struggles, that you would not make your foundation something that is fallible, but that you would with confidence share with your family, share with your neighbors, share with your friends and your co-workers the eternal truth of the gospel of free grace in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now at this time. We ask, Lord, that you would deeply root in our hearts this truth that there is no other gospel. That we, O oh God, would have our eyes open and that we would see the truth of Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh God, that you would give us confidence in your word that we might proclaim it. And that the salvation of Christ would go forth with great power. We pray this in His holy name. Amen.